Well, good morning. We are getting a late start, as you can tell. We can't blame it on the length of the sermon. It's on the announcements. So, <laughs> Okay, so we are today in Deuteronomy chapter 16. Uh, well, that's where we're going to start. In ver- we're going to start in verse 18 uh, and go into the next chapter, um, which would be, and we're going to go through 1713. That's the plan anyway. Um, and so as we start, uh, let's open in prayer. And like I did um, last week, I'm going to open with uh, a Puritan prayer from Valley of Vision, the Valley of Vision. Um, These are old, old prayers, and uh, we'll start with just part of one uh, this morning. O God, praise awaits for you, and to give it is my noblest and best exercise. This is what is due for you. From all your creatures, because all your works display who you are, and they fulfill what you have designed. The sea and the dry land, the winter cold and the summer heat, morning light and evening shade are full of you, and you give me them richly to enjoy. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. At your pleasure, empires rise and fall. All your works praise you, and your saints bless you. Let me be numbered with them, the holy ones. Resemble in character and condition when I sit with them at Jesus' feet. Lord, we thank you for these words and thoughts that you have put on the mind of many and expressed so well in this, through this Puritan author. And we ask that as we today open your word, that it would be that we are sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning Uh, what you would have us to learn uh, from his word. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in the middle of, the middle part in Deuteronomy um, is the second address of Moses to the people of Israel as they prepared to go into the promised land. Um, And so... Uh, remember that, that Deuteronomy um, is largely about this. When they're getting ready to go into the promised land, we need God gives them, through Moses, uh, many instructions, again, um, and many applications of what they had learned uh, in the wilderness. But here's why, what Moses is trying to accomplish in his role as their leader and their shepherd um, this is from Deuteronomy 4:40. Therefore, you will keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, 
that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. So if you want to live a long time in this land where you're going to go, you need to pay attention to these things. This is the covenant that God has made with his people, um, and it, his land, God's land that he's giving them, um, the gift of this land, is contingent upon them keeping the, um, the covenant which he has made. And the first part of that, and, and today is certainly about that, uh, as we go into uh, the end of Deuteronomy 16 and the beginning of chapter 17. So if you have an ESV Bible, which I have one here, um, if you have an ESV Bible, um, this we're, we're planning to cover 1618 through 713. So the ESV has this in three different sections. Um, one is called justice. That's the first part. It's the first three verses. The next section, is, beginning with the second to the last verse of chapter 16, is forget, forbidden forms of worship. In the third section is legal decisions by priests and judges. So those things seem like, well, maybe they're connected, um, but I'm not quite sure how. Uh, well, Daniel Block um, says this, this section here, where it, where it breaks on those places after or at the beginning, at, at 16, chapter 16, verse 18, that one section runs through 713. So all of these things are part of one section. They bring, they're bringing across a central point, one central point. And that central point is found in verse 20, and we're going to talk about that um, in a few minutes. But as, as we get into this, I want you to think about a couple of words. Um, think first about the word justice. So when you think of justice, what does that mean to you? What is justice? All right, and then the other word I want you to think about is righteousness. What does righteousness mean? What do you think about when you think about righteousness? So, if you're like most people, if you think about justice, you're going to think about getting what I deserve. Or that something along those lines. That, it's a, that a person gets what he or she deserves. Righteousness means something different, probably, to you. Uh, righteousness and justice are not the same thing. Um, righteousness seems to be, I mean, if you're like most people, a call to a certain level of be, doing what's right, doing what's holy, it's closely related to 
to holiness. Well, these are um, very related terms, uh, especially in this section as we read through it. Uh, They are related terms, and they're related in a number of ways. I'm going to, I'm just going to, this morning, uh, I was listening on my way in like I usually do to uh, Daily Audio Bible. So Daily Audio Bible is a, it's a way to listen through the Bible in a year and the Psalms a couple of times during the year, but it was on, it was in Psalm 37 today. And I'll just read you a couple of verses from Psalm 37. And you will recognize the first one. They are, they go together. Um, Psalm 37, verses 5 and 6. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the as the noonday. Well, what that means in what, what the way Hebrew does things that this is taken from, that this is translated from, is it states one thing and then it states it in the same thing in a different way. So when he says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in, trust in him. So when you commit your way to the Lord, you trust in him. And he will act. And then secondly, and this is how he will act, he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. See the parallel between light and noonday. Well, the parallel between justice and righteousness. They're closely related terms. We're going to see in, in what we read today, righteous judgment, okay, or righteous justice, you could say, with the same words. That they are related, however, they are not the same thing. And, and the reasons I'm, I want to point that out is because um, the way that, w- that we're going to read through this text and discuss a couple of things in this. So I mentioned Daniel Block putting these things together. He says the key thing here to get in this whole section is righteousness. We're supposed to understand righteousness, and the key verse is Deuteronomy um, 16.20. That's the kind of the focal point of this whole text, uh, Deuteronomy 16.20. And I'm confident that he is absolutely right about both of those things. That, that first of all, that that is the key verse to understand this section, and also that he has identified the main issue or the main thing, which is righteousness. So, let's begin. We'll read this. The the ESV has paragraph breaks that are pretty good. I I like where their paragraph breaks are. Um, And so we'll break it into sections. And and one of those paragraphs that they have, that the ESV has, I'm actually going to break in half or close to half, it won't be exactly in half, um, just because it makes a point. So, keeping in mind that righteousness is the key point. Okay, so this, this group of headings in the ESV that doesn't look like they're all that well-connected, 
um, are, are this. What are the abominable worship practices to the Lord, and what are you supposed to do about it? That's what this section is about. And that's what, what righteousness is at the center of that. What are the, the abominable, pra- abominable practices, things that are abominable to the Lord for worship, and what are you as an individual and what are you as a community gonna, supposed to do about those? So that's what this, these verses are about. So let's start. We'll start by um, reading the first paragraph in the ESV, which is, is three verses. Um, and I will, it, I'm not going to follow ESV exactly. Um, so you will, verse 18, you will appoint for yourselves judges and officials in all your gates, which the Lord your God is giving you for your tribes. And they will judge the people with righteous judgment. And you will not pervert justice. You will not show personalities. You will not take a bribe. Because the bribe will blind the eyes of the wise. And twist the words of the righteous. Righteousness, righteousness alone, you will pursue in order that you may live. Back to that, what, what Deuteronomy is about. In order that you may live and you may possess the earth which the Lord your God or the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So there's the there's the there's the key verse. Righteousness righteousness you shall pursue. Now does anybody's version say that? Righteousness righteousness you shall pursue. Um does anybody say, raise your hand, because you have different versions, justice, justice you shall pursue or you shall follow. ESV, I think, says follow, right? ESV, you shall follow. It's the word for pursue. So what's the deal? What's going on here? Well, in context, I, I think what's going on, I, I don't have access to why ESV, New American Standard, NIV, Everybody, all the, all the major translations translate this word righteous here and nowhere else in the, or justice here and nowhere else in the text. So nowhere else in these verses do they translate the word for righteous as justice. And so I think the reason is because of the context, especially of the first couple of verses, but also the end of this pass of this passage. So, let's take a look at those first couple of verses again and and see why you might might think 
or why it might be that we would replace that word with justice. So you shall appoint judges and officials in all your gates. It might say towns or cities for you. It's in your gates, which the Lord your God is giving you for your tribes, and they will judge the people with righteous judgment, and you will not pervert justice, and you will not show partiality, and you will not take a bribe, and you, because the bribe will blind the eyes of the wise and twist the words of the righteous. So you can see it, it, it appears to be all these things that happen. Oh, one other thing about, about justice before we go into this. If, if you think about justice, if I think about justice compared to righteousness, besides what we talked about already, I think about justice as somebody else's problem. Somebody else is in charge of justice. I'm not in charge of justice. Somebody else is in charge of justice. Judges are in charge of justice. Government officials are in charge of justice. They're supposed to make things right. Okay? When I hear righteousness, I think of something different. That's my problem. Right? That's something that I need to do something about. That, that I'm called to live by. Now, those things, you're actually called to both of those things. And, and officials are actually called to both of those things. But, but when you translate things, you also have to think of the connotations that a word has in the language you're going into. So into English, what's in the background? What are you thinking about when you think about justice? Well, it seems like a different thing. And it seems like somebody else is responsible for it. And with that in mind, I think the subject matter in these two verses that we read about, you're going to appoint judges and officials. And then right away when we go to, don't take bribes, don't, we think that we're, talk, we're giving instructions to judges here. The instructions are actually to the people, to all the people. So when it says this, it's saying it to the people, not only to the judges. Um, you will not pervert justice. You will not show um, partiality. You will not take a bribe. That's not just for judges. That's for all of the people. We're all supposed to do that. Nobody's supposed to. You just think about how justice can be perverted if the person, if, if an individual who is not a judge takes a bribe. A witness takes a bribe. A witness shows favor to somebody because they're their friend. A witness does this. So the instructions are for everybody. They're not just for judges. And so it is the call of everyone to be righteous. So, but I do, I do think that when you put the word judge and things like that together, I mean, justice makes really good sense in the translation. But 
But as we think about it, as people who are not judges, and how what God is communicating, what Moses is communicating um, for God to us, righteousness is the word he put in here. It's the word Moses said. Um, the righteousness, righteousness, you shall pursue. So, again, all the major translations go the other way. Daniel Block does not. Um, commentators do not all go the same way. But all of our major translations take that to say justice. So, so the most, that's the most common way to translate the Hebrew word behind this word here, righteousness. So the best Hebrew lexicon around translates it as righteous or righteousness. And it means what is right in God's eyes. I mean, I'm putting that in the background. What is right? Um, what is just? There you go, justice. Um, and then, secondly, there's a certain kind of righteousness that's demanded in government. And so, that's probably what's in view here um, when it gets translated justice. But judgment, justice, would be like, you'd think, deciding right a case. Um, so, that's, that's what's going on, and I think that's why it's translated that way in our English Bibles. But think about it, and write it in your margins. Righteousness is what it actually says. Okay, so let's look at that first section in um, a little bit more detail to see what's going on. Remember I said that, that this whole section, these verses are about abominable worship practices and what you're supposed to do about them as an individual and as a community. And that is what is righteous So, in this section. So, Deuteronomy, we'll go back to the beginning and go to 18 as we go through this. So, you will appoint judges and officials for yourself... In all your gates. So, in your gates. Remember, this is Moses' address or Moses' sermon to the people about we're now moving into a different thing. We've been in the wilderness for 40 years. I have given you this instruction before on how you're supposed to practice it in the wilderness. How you're supposed to organize yourself into judges, who's going to take care of legal cases, um, etc. But you're going into a different context now, and so it's going to change a little bit. So back in Exodus 18, Moses' father-in-law comes to him and tells him how he can lighten his own workload and make it easier for the people. And it is to appoint um, leaders for the people, groups of thousands and groups of hundreds and groups of fifties and groups of tens and you take people who are capable and who are of good character they feel the Lord, they they fear the Lord and you put them in charge of groups of people 
Now when you go into the, the land, the promised land, you're not going to be traveling through the wilderness anymore, so you need to have people in your city um, for your tribes. So you, it, in other words, you're, you might have been over here in this group in the wilderness, but now you're in your town. So we need to appoint judges for that situation. So it's not a new thing here to appoint judges um, because they're supposed to, in the wilderness, they're supposed to judge all the cases. And when they get a really, really, really hard one, then it works its way up and goes to Moses. Um, That's the way it was. And that's the way you'll see as we go through here. That's the way that works here too. So it's just adapting it to... Um, they're setting now. It's a, it's a just this in your gates and idea in your city is a really good thing. Handle things locally when you can, right? Don't, don't rely on, don't rely on the federal government to fix all your problems. Handle them locally, and remember that. When we're talking about Israelis that go into the land, they're the people of God. Well, who are in our gates now? It's the church. It's us. We're in our gates. We're the people of God. You can't say Sioux Falls is the people of God. You can say this church is the people of God. Handle things locally when you can. Okay. Secondly, second paragraph, um, and this is where the three abominable worship practices start, the three things that we are to beware of. Um, so we'll, we'll read 16, uh, 21 to 22. This is the first one of those. Um, you will not plant for yourself an Asherah pole. Of any tree beside the altar of the Lord your God, which you will make for yourself. And you will not erect for yourself a pillar which the Lord your God hates. Okay, so two things that you can't do. You can't place an object of worship for another God beside the Lord's altar. That would have been a temptation in the world. um, To, we don't know how many gods there are. There's one, we know there's one. But the people of Canaan, so we better worship this God, and we better worship this God, and we better worship this God so we don't make him mad or make her mad. And so that we, and so that our crops go well. So that is... Something that the Lord hates. The idea of putting something else alongside him. So that is, does it remind you of the first commandment? It should. You will have no other gods before me. Um, Also, in another place, I can't remember right offhand, you will have no other gods beside me. So... We are, not to, we are not to participate in things that, that make our God 
equal to or equivalent with another God. So the easy example of this is interfaith prayer meetings. That's, that's the easy example to say that, that should have no part in Christianity. And I mean, I don't mean people from two denominations meeting together and praying. I don't mean that. I mean interfaith. Um, which which is practiced in our in our own town, but the greater temptation is for us to place other things equal to God, things that we wouldn't consider God, things that we would take up and think that they're really really important, so that they. You know, they rival God for our time and our love and our, and our money and our, everything about us we, we get committed to. We want um, something else beside God. And so we put it next to God. I'm not putting it in front of him. I'm putting it next to him. It's, all, it's not the same. It's almost, I mean, I love it less than I love God. But that's a greater temptation for us. Verse 17, the next one. By the way, these are all violations of the first commandment. Um, And so when we talk about righteousness and being faithful to God and his covenant, here we are. Of course, these things are abominable practices. The next one. You will not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep that has on it or in it, any blemish or any bad thing because it is an abomination of the Lord your God. So I think ESV says it does say abomination. So abominable, this is a definitely an abominable worship practice to do that. To take a, a defective animal as part of your sacrifice, and sacrifice it to the Lord. So we don't do that anymore. But we are called to do this. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. I'm not going to use this to um, talk about physical fitness or anything like that. In context, that is talking about making your bodies subject to sexual immorality. That's the setting for present your bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. So we are to be righteous in this respect. It is unrighteous to present to the Lord Um, sacrifices that are um, blemished. We could go into a lot of um, discussion about that. One one thing that it does, um, it's in Malachi where it says, "This this shows contempt for the Lord if you do that. If you sacrifice something that is impure to the Lord or defective or has a blemish to the Lord, that's, that is contemptible to the Lord. 
because you wouldn't do it for your governor. That's what it says in, that's the problem in Malachi. So offering the wrong kind of sacrifices has a, a long history. It goes back to the garden um, and with Cain and Abel. And Cain offers his sacrifice from some of the fruit of the ground. So that's the way it's roughly phrased. Some of the fruit of the ground. It doesn't say the quality. The, the contrast isn't between what if you can offer grain offerings or fruit offerings because in, in even in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, there are grain offerings that you present to the Lord. The difference is Abel offered the best of his, of his offering and Cain offered some of it. Doesn't say what it was the best. And so that also showed contempt for the Lord. So keeping back the best portion for yourself um, is like that. Keeping the, the best things for yourself is like that. Okay, let's go on to the next few verses. This will be the third now abominable abominable worship practice that violate all violate the first commandment. So we're going to start in 17, um, verse 2, and not take the whole paragraph. I'm going to break it after verse 3. Um, when there is found in your midst, in one of your gates, so again, it's a local problem now, if there is found, when it is, when it is found in your midst, in one of your gates or in one of your towns, which the Lord your God is giving to you. So don't forget the Lord your God is giving all of these things to you in the promised land. It's his. He's giving it to you. So if, if in that gate, in the city that God gives you, you find or a man or a woman is found who will do evil in the eyes of the Lord your God. Okay, so there, there you go. It's righteousness in God's eyes we're looking for. So this is something outside of God's eyes. To transgress his covenant. His covenant would include, you shall love the Lord your God. You will have no other gods before me. So the Ten Commandments, there, there's more uh, than just the Ten Commandments in the covenant. But you shall have no other gods before me. That would be transgressing the covenant. That would, be, that would not be righteous. And he goes and he serves other gods. And he bows down to them, to the sun or to the moon, or to any of the host, any host of the heavens, which I did not command. So that's not saying that, that I commanded you to worship some of the stars. But no, I didn't command you to worship any of these things. So if you're worshiping what I don't command you to do, then that is an abominable practice to the Lord. So that is 
Um, that is an example. And so our, our greatest danger in that, in this, of worshiping something else other than the one true God or some, is, I think, it's, I think it's found in the New Testament um, in Galatians um, chapter 1. Here's our, what our greatest temptation is uh, in our society. Verse 6. Galatians 1, 6-9. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Jesus, in the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel. So the Galatians were not, they were not going to worship another God in the sense that, that we have here in Deuteronomy. Not going to go worship the sun, not going to go worship the moon. Not going to go worship a star or stars. Not going to worship the universe. Not going to worship Mother Earth. Not going to do those things would be out there today, um, worshiping Mother Earth. But no, they're going to they're going to they're going to um, they're deserting Christ, the grace uh, called by the grace in Christ, and turning to a different gospel. They're turning to Jesus plus. That's what they're doing. In other words, not the true message of the gospel, but something else in addition or different from the gospel which Paul has taught them. So it's still about Christ. It's still about God. But we're redefining God, redefining what God has said. Now that is that is the real thing that... that that happens um, in our in our day, and we need to guard against it. Uh, as we heard this morning, traditions creep into things like that, and 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 it becomes a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want you to distort the gospel of Christ, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached, let him be accursed. Health and prosperity gospel. That would be included in a, as a different gospel. One that would be an abomination Worshiping a God that, that isn't in the Bible. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. That's Galatians 1. That fits in what we are talking about here in Deuteronomy. So the reason I broke this, this paragraph into two parts uh, is because this thing is about, this section of scripture is about abominable worship practices and what you're supposed to do about them. So it started off with, well, you're going to have judges in your town, right? Because you're going to appoint them. And now, first, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it individually? 
And then what is your town going to do about it? So, so in, in our world, where the people of God are not isolated to a town, the church takes that place. And, and it's clear from New Testament teaching, Paul teaches along these lines, that the church is fulfilling the role that you see in Deuteronomy here. So the role that the the role that you see the the city playing in Deuteronomy the church plays in Paul's writings. So um, beginning in verse four, well, I'll read into it verse from verse um, three again, and and he will go. So this is what the man or woman does that is. Uh, worshiping other gods. And he will go and he will serve other gods. You bow down to them, to the sun or to the moon or to a host, one of the hosts of heaven, um, which I did not command. And if it is told to you and you hear, okay, there you go. So if it's told to you and you hear, you will seek out carefully. Seek it out carefully. You're going to find out if it's true or not. And behold, if it is true, and the thing has been established, so the thing is a fact, it is true, and this abomination it has, been, or has been or is being done in Israel, you will... Bring out the person, the, the man, that man. You will bring out that man or that woman who has done the, this wicked thing or this evil thing to your gates. Okay, so get it? that it's, This is the thing. It's going to be handled at the town level now. Okay, you, you've checked into it. It's handled at the town level now. And, and say, that man or that woman. So repeating that, specifically, the man or the woman doing these things. This is how we, this is, this is a righteous thing to do. Righteousness, righteousness alone. And you will stone them with stones and they will die. So, Israel was um, both civil and religious government. We don't have that today. But if you just think about it, if you've heard about church discipline, what happens? You've heard about church discipline, how, how it is in the New Testament. If somebody hears about a serious sin, well, these would be serious sins, right? You're supposed to check it out, take two or three witnesses, if he won't listen, go to the church. And then what's the church going to supposed to do if he, if he doesn't listen? Well, we're to cast them out of the church. Right? So, stone him with stones. We're not going to do that. That would be illegal. But think about this. According to the testimony of two witnesses or three witnesses, 
he shall surely be put to death. He will not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. The hand of the witnesses will be first against him to put him to death. And the hand of all the people will be afterwards. You shall purge the evil from your midst. So that's how it was handled here. Here, a clear violation in Israel, which is the civil authority charged with, and and the religious authority charged with maintaining fidelity to the church, to, to God, to the covenant of God. So just think of how similar that is to what you read in Matthew 18 and what you read um, also about church discipline from Paul. It's, it's very similar. And, and the goal of it is very similar. You shall purge the evil from your midst. Okay. So also then, the last paragraph. Again, this is adapting, uh, to go back to the beginning, this is adapting what was done in the wilderness in Exodus 18 and then repeated in, at the beginning of Deuteronomy. Uh, Moses has repeated it back to them. This is what we do. This is how we set up judges. This is what they're supposed to do. So this is adapting that wilderness command to life in the town. So verse 18, verse 8, excuse me, 8 through 13. And if a thing is too hard for you to judge. So remember we talked about this with if things got, if they couldn't, if the judges couldn't get it, eventually works its way up and goes to Moses. So now we're going to, Moses isn't going to be here when they go into um, the promised land. So just like in Exodus and just like in earlier Deuteronomy, the example is judge, you judge the people at all time where you can. If you can't do it, if it's too hard for you, kick it up to Moses eventually. Go through the, the channels and kick it up to Moses. Well, now when they're moving into the land, we're going to adapt that. And... If a thing is too hard for you to judge between one kind of blood guiltiness and another kind of blood guiltiness um, or one kind of dispute or case with another kind of case or another case or between one wound and another wound, um, any disputed things in your gate. So notice where it is to be handled. In your, it's in your gate. It needs to be handled in your gate. Um, and you shall then, so if that's the case, it's too hard for this in your gate. You can't do it. You can't come up with the right decision. Then you will go to the priests and to the Levites and to the judge who will be stand who will be in those days okay so there's going to be a, a judge in those days and you will 
inquire, and they will tell you the thing or the, the verdict of justice that would work with the way that this has been trapped. The right thing to do in the case. So you kicked it up. You can't handle it on a local basis. You take it to the priest. Probably ends up being the high priest in um, that place. But, and you will do. So this is, this is, this is now not an easy thing to do once they get in the land because, because the Lord is going to center this place far away from their town. So all the more reason to, if you can handle it on the local level, do it. But if you can't handle on, on to in the local level, there are, there are things you need to know if you think you can't handle it at the local level. And you will do, this is verse 10, According to the command of the thing which they tell you. So you're going to do whatever that judgment is. You don't get to have independent authority on whether or not you're going to um, do what the judge says. You don't have that right to decide. Once you take it to the judge, you do what the judge says says from the place which so this is where where this judge is going to be from the place which the lord will choose and you will be careful to do according to all which they teach you so there you go you don't have the option you must do what they tell you according to the command of the instruction which they teach you according to the justice or the judgment which they tell you you will do and you will not turn aside to the right or to the left from what they tell you. So you're not going to turn aside. So you have to do what the judge is saying. This is the law in, in Israel, that you must do that. So, so again, the goal here is righteousness. And they are, when you take these, your case to the priests and to the Levites and to the judge, they now are standing in the place representing you before God and God to you. And so they are to do that. They are to give you the righteous judgment and you are to do it. And you must, you absolutely must do it. Verse 12. And the man who will do in arrogance... What and without listening, so the one who will act arrogantly or presumptuously probably says um, in the ESV, one who would act arrogantly, not doing, not listening to the priest, the standing priest, the one who is in appointed for that time, 
to serve there the Lord your God or to the judge. So if you're not going to listen to what the judge says or the priest says, that man will die. And you will purge the evil from Israel. So um, we are to, they are to obey the priest as they would obey God. And if not, it's a capital offense. Okay. All the people will hear and will fear so that they are not arrogant again. (laughs) Or still, they are not, they don't stay arrogant. So, that section, notice again the, the purge thing. So that will keep people, that is meant to keep people, back to the central point, righteous. And righteous is obeying God, obeying his covenant, um, and handling those things by this way. That's the way, that's the way, this is described as a righteous way to handle thing, for violations in the context of Israel. So, and I mentioned that in the place of their gates, the church is the church is the people of God now. A city was the people of God, and a small group of, of the people of God now. The church is a small group of of people that are the, the people of God. And and I mentioned that Paul applies these same things um, in the New Testament, um, but uh, has adapted them to a different kind of government. In their case, there's a Roman government in place, and the church does not have cities. The church is a church. The people of God no longer have cities. But but here's what, here's an example of how Paul has adapted this whole thing about disputes and handling them in your town, when you can handle them in your town. 1 Corinthians 6, beginning at the beginning. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare to go to the law before the unrighteousness instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you know that we are to judge angels? How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers, between, between Christian Christians? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Disputes, divisions are always a bad thing in the church. And can you imagine, I mean, can you even imagine what it, what it would do to a local church if one member of a local church went to court 
against another member of the local church? What would it do to the church? Well, Paul's applying that. It would, it would not be good. Divisions in the church are not good, right? So, so we are to do all things internally to try to solve things like that before it ends up somewhere else. Uh, we shouldn't happen. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter what the issue is. Right? We should try to solve them internally. Now, there are things that are criminal cases that affect everybody, and that's a different thing. We're talking about disputes between brother and brother. Now, that should not, should not happen. If it does happen, it's not righteousness. It's not righteousness, righteousness alone that you shall pursue. So, just in summary, that's, the, that's what this is about, righteousness. The whole section, the section itself, is about um, abominable, abominable worship practices and how we're supposed to handle them individually and as a group. So let's close in prayer. Father, we um, again thank you for uh, Deuteronomy and for uh, Moses' words to the people before they entered into the promised land on how to be righteous and apply justice to situations. Uh, Lord, we pray that you, we would learn from what you have there as it applies for us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.